Greetings. At our Ion Krakow event on September 30th, 2013 in Krakow, Poland, we had a panel discussion on IPv6 deployment that involved a number of panelists who had actually deployed IPv6 in their networks, and they talked about the technical, organizational, and political challenges they faced, the current status of their deployments, and their ideas around what needs to happen to see IPv6 more widely deployed. The moderator was Jan Zors. The panelists included Ian Farr of Deutsche Telekom, Bartosz Gadja of Pioneer, Chris Grundeman, formerly of Cable Labs and now with the Internet Society, and Christoph Selicki of NASK, a local Poland company there. There were slides that were used both by Jan and also by uh, Bartosz, and they are available as links in the notes to this recording on SoundCloud and also from our Ion Krakow agenda, which you can find at www.internetsociety.org slash deploy360 slash ion slash Krakow2013. Again, those links will be in the notes for this session. Thanks for listening, and with that, here's the panel. Okay. So, welcome to our IPv6 panel, and hopefully to create some discussion at the end, because we have lots of time now. Okay. So, um, I will in introduce... Uh, the panelists, and Bartosz has some short presentation, so uh, I will introduce him last. I'm Jan George, the guy from before, if you remember. Uh, we have Ion Ferrer from Deutsche Telekom. Uh, we saw him, his brilliant presentation about TerraStream in the morning. I think that's, that's a really good idea and really good step forward toward IPv6. And Chris Grundemann, uh, the new do director in his previous life he was in cable, with cable labs and he was um, standardizing many IPv6 things and so on and so forth then we have um, uh, Bartosz Gaida from, from Pioneer and Krzysztof Siliki from NASK uh, and I will just like to ask Bartosz to present his few slides and then we, we go back into the uh, questions for the session. So let me see if I can work this out. Okay. Okay, thank you, Jan. Uh, just a very short presentation from my side. Uh, we are operator, Poznan Supercomputing Networking Center is operator of uh, Polish NRN uh, research and networking, uh, research uh, network in Poland. And we as operator uh, not are not uh, doing things concerning IPv6 behind a curtain. So I'd like to display something, just a few examples of uh, what we have done. So, first of all, we uh, started quite early, as early as it was possible, because our main upstream provider, which, which is Jant uh, European Network, uh, has been IPv6 enabled since uh, 2003, and since that time we also became IPv6 enabled. Of course, it was not just like that, so we need to be prepared, we, ne we needed some time, and about a year ago, uh, a year, year before we started doing things on a production level in our uh, network in the city in Poznań, so it gave us some experience. And it is also worth to mention that uh, DNS in Poland was IPv6 enabled since 2005, thanks to NASC operator. 
Pioneer Network is a backbone network. It means that we, don't, we do not provide uh, addresses. Uh, we provide connectivity for the cities in Poland, for uh, academic, for uni universities. And in each of the cities there are different operators, uh, which uh, usually are uh, LIR registered in RIPE, so they, were, uh, they should it, uh, to get their own address spaces. And as you can see on this map, most of the cities, and even more than displayed, because the slide is a little bit uh, old, uh, have uh, their own IPv6 addresses. But these are addresses. The question may be about services, and this is a different story. I can uh, say a few things about uh, a city in Poznań. So, uh, there, was, there was also a nice presentation about uh, 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 users and uh, content. So, we are providing connectivity, but we are also a little bit providing the content. So, we are uh, acting on two sides. As a, an example of providing content, in Poznań, there is a very big uh, uh, website, uh, which is official website for the Poznań city, and it is uh, quite a huge uh, number of visit, about two, 10 million visit per month, and uh, it is uh, main place for the all information about the city, what's going on, and. Uh, just before uh, 2011, we wanted to enable IPv6 there, and we hopefully managed. It was not easy, but we did it. Uh, just after it, we discovered that the uh, volume of traffic was quite low, mainly bots, and about uh, 5,000 of requests that uh, counted a, a few months after, after it. But it's, it's working. Of course, uh, it, what, what was the conclusion after such implementation? There were some issues. Issues about uh, firewalls. Not everything was uh, fine. So we uh, had to implement a different firewall for this service. But we thought that it's not, it, it, it shouldn't be a big problem because the volume of traffic is quite low. So even a different server should do it well. And also some changes in the web applications uh, inside. And the, maybe you can think about the question how to get customers for such content or how, how to get customers for IPv6. And I can provide you an answer just on the next slides. Because we are also uh, providing a uh, network for free in Poznań, which is wireless network in the city center. And we also, because we are a part of, uh, uh, we are, a, as, a, as a company, as a PSNC, uh, we are responsible for some kind of, some part of uh, technical side of this, uh, this implementation. So we wanted to, uh, of course, uh, make IPv6 enableware and even IPv6 only enable, and dual stock, of course. So this network uh, is now running, but it's only, uh, uh, currently a pilot network, but has IPv6 inside. What we learned from that, there were some issues, of course, 
again up, uh, about firewalls. Not everything was working, even a big company with big names, but it concerns mainly DHCP servers. So DHCP v6 server world from checkpoint was not working well. And also what was mentioned before on a, uh, on a presentations, that there are some problems with clients, especially uh, mobile clients. So uh, Windows Mobile is not working well, and also uh, Android. And we can't fix it because this is not our, our part. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you for this. So I will, I will try to switch back to my presentation and see how that works. So, can you tell the other panelists, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you have been doing on IPv6? Ion? So, hello, is this thing? Yeah, it sounds like it's working. Um, so, I, I mean, my presentation this morning, I think, covered most of the things, but uh, I didn't really introduce myself when I started that. So, um, I've been with Deutsche Telekom for about 14 years in one, one form or another. Um, but the last couple of years, we've been working exclusively on the development of this terrestrial tree architecture, which is you know, a, a native V6 network. Um, I think at that stage, I was pretty new to V6 myself. You know, I mean, it, it's something that um, we've been talking about. I've been running RFQs, selecting hardware since 2000, 2001, that we've had requirements in there for. But you know, not something that we have ever really taken that seriously, I think, until, until recently. Um, and, you know, I mean, hopefully what you saw from what I was, I was talking about this morning, um, we flipped 180 degrees. It's not a case of saying, well, maybe we'll pop a bit of V6 on top, maybe a bit of dual stack, you know, the, the, the softly, softly approach. Um, we're going the other way of saying, if you're going to do it, do it properly. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, one of the uh, design principles that we're following now. So, yes, I'm Chris Grunemann. Now I work at the Internet Society. Um, but before that, I worked at Cable Labs. Uh, where I led the IPv6 project there, which was basically doing a couple of things. One was updating all of the cable-specific specifications to include IPv6 support. Uh, and the other thing was running through the cable network kind of soup to nuts um, to determine exactly where a migration to IPv6 or even just turning on IPv6 touches things. Because um, obviously it's not just data services, right? I mean, if, you, if you're doing anything else with IP, um, there's, there's involvement there. There's a lot of touch points. So, so looking at kind of holistically across the cable industry, what does it take to turn IPv6 on? Uh, and, then, and then watching and coaching uh, companies turn it on. And before that, I was at TW Telecom where we rolled out v6, basically 6PE, which is super simple to do if you're already tunneling all your traffic. Adding v6 is, is trivial um, back in like 2007, 2008. And now HomeNet, HipNet is a big thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So, so one of the things we found, at least within the cable space and within the US, uh, North America in general, I think Canada has the same problem is that um, most of the residential broadband providers historically have not provided CPE. So everything's kind of bring your own. Um, DSL is a little bit, has handed out more, more routers than, than cable guys have, but cable specifically has almost never handed out anything other than just a cable modem. So the router and everything else was brought by the subscriber. And that becomes a major problem when less than 10% of the routers available for sale today support IPv6. So you can turn IPv6 on in your network, and it goes nowhere, right? It just hits that wall at the end of the customer's home or their, their old router is sitting there. People leave those in for, for five, ten years. So yeah, so then that shifted my focus to home networking from the IPv6 angle um, and was working on that for the last couple, uh, last year or so, um, looking at, you know, what does the home network in the future look like? And, and, and IPv6, I think, is the, is the pillars that, that hold that network up. Okay, thank you. Christoph. 
Okay, my name is Krzysztof Szylicki. I'm working for NAS for a long time. Uh, I was uh, 13 years a technical director. Now I'm, I'm focusing on, on security, area security aspects. I'm also working for ANISA. It's ANISA is a European Network and Information Security Agency. So I am in the management board. So uh, IPv6 is, is for me uh, is just uh, another area of, of, of concern from the security point of view as a, all the emerging technologies which are coming, which are developing, uh, are the, mm, should be the point of concern for everybody how to implement in a resilient and secure way. Thank you. So um, I think we can go to the first question. Let's do a bit of status updates. What <clears throat> actually what's going on in your country or region? What's what do you see as a, as a status and level of IPv6 implementation around? I, I know that Sander did a report in this, but I, I, I would like to hear from you that, that come from a different regions. Should we go like, like before? Yeah, if you like. So, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, Sander's presentation about, uh, you know, the take-up probably um, quantifies things better than I can, but I, I mean... Within, within the German market, which is you know, where, where I live and where I have the most, most personal experience from, both as an operator and, and as a customer, um, I've been quite surprised recently. I mean, I, I have a, um, a contract with NetCologne, and quite recently they've launched a trial completely unsolicited, but you know, that popped in, and I was, I was surprised. You know, I was surprised that, that, was, uh, that they, they're actually sort of grabbing hold of this. Um, previously, before that, 6SX... And, um, yeah, however you pronounce it. Um, you know, those, uh, those the services there. So, you know, I mean, the stuff is there if if you want to take hold of it. Um, we're seeing the content come and what have you, but um, I don't think there's really the global the global pull towards it, um, or, or or even a national pull towards it at this stage. You know, I, I think it's one of those things that probably it's going to happen by by attrition. Customers are going to get it without knowing it, and they're going to use it without knowing it. So um, rather if, than actually people pulling it and saying, I want it. If the customer gets it and not notice it, that means we did our job well. I completely agree. That, that is the, the absolute goal. If, you know, as soon as you notice it, or as soon as you have to do something to enable it, you have to do anything different, yeah, you've probably failed. Okay, thank you. Chris? Um, yeah, so I, I think one of the big issues, at least uh, in North America and in the U.S. in particular, is what we talked about, which was CBE. Um, you know, when you're talking about 100, 200, 300 million subscribers across the entire country of the U.S., and you've got Canada and everything on top of that. Replacing CPEs becomes a major issue, and, and people just don't do it on their own. So, so that's been one of the things that's just kind of dragging along. I think we're in a place now where the CPE manufacturers have, have kind of woken up to the idea that we really need to add IPv6 to our products. And so as we go forward, as those product replacement cycles happen, I think we'll see it through, through attrition as well. Because a lot of the providers have, have started turning it on. Um, in large cases for the same scale problems where when you have these massive, massive networks and you've got, again, tens of millions of nodes on your network, uh, just management of those devices becomes almost impossible with uh, at least private IPv4 space and public IPv4 space, again, be being more useful for customers um, doesn't want to get used there. So I think, I think, again, same thing, attrition will kind of see that start going. Obviously, the mobile carriers are starting to, to pave the way a little bit. Verizon's kind of jumped ahead as far as U.S. companies um, with their LTE rollout, just now all of a sudden we have IPv6. Uh, and so it just hadn't happened. So I think I definitely see that happening across the board where, you know, it's, 
it's not something anyone's ever going to ask for, and there's still a business case problem, especially at the enterprise level and some of the maybe smaller ISPs, smaller content guys, where you know putting out money to, to deploy IPv6 today is not going to increase your margins tomorrow. Uh, and so because of that, right, we've seen a, a lot of folks hold back and wait and wait and wait and wait, and that's why we're at where we're at, you know, now 15 years later. Um, but obviously, through what we've seen, um, what Sander presented, right, the big guys, Google, Facebook, you know, AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, you know, those major companies that, that have to think a little bit more strategically and have to look out, you know, five, ten years in the future um, because they can't move fast enough to not do that. Uh, the fact that they're deploying IPv6 and are doing it kind of across the board is a, is a really good sign, and I, I take heart from that. So all the, the percentages are still low. As far as usage, uh, we've definitely seen some big steps being made in the last uh, couple of years. So I heard from JJB from Comcast that he's enabling millions of customers monthly. Yeah. So I think that is going pretty rapidly. Pretty rapidly. Do you have any any recent information on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, so cable companies uh, have a kind of an advantage in the residential market because um, Docs is 3.0 implemented IPv6 in the spec as, you know, when it was written in 2007. And what, what makes that nice is not that they thought of it to, to include IPv6 in 2007 necessarily, was the fact that today cable companies are rolling out Docs 3.0 because of a number of other benefits they get with it, right? So they're upgrading their entire systems because they want higher speeds to provide to their customers for the, for the large part. And oh, by the way, you get IPv6 with that. So it's kind of nice that there actually becomes this business case where if you want to increase the speed to your customers, you roll out Docs 3.0, now all of a sudden, turning on V6 becomes fairly trivial, um, at least for the cable networks, right? So, so that was a good thing. Can I pick up on that? I mean, this is this is something that I, I think is a you know is a fairly universal thing with the V6 story. Um, you know, one, how do you solve the CPE problem? Well, we, we tie that in with with our fiber rollout. There's new CPEs going out anyway, so what do you know? You've got V6 on there, and you know you're saying the same with Docsys 3.0, and and, and in a, a, you know. As long as you, when you have major network change, wherever it is in the network, you use that as a catalyst and, and you ride V6 on top of that. And as long as you say, this is what we're going to do, then, you know, you can avoid this whole business case discussion, which will almost certainly, you know, end in, well, we'll do nothing then. Okay. Let's hear the update from Poland. Uh, as I presented, we are offering IPv6 since uh, 10 years. And... I can see from my perspective, because I'm also personally responsible for uh, a segment uh, addresses for our customers, but our customers are uh, academic customers and universities, so big customers, not, not end users. And I see that the uh, level of, uh, let's say, the, the, the last obstacle which was in the people has been changing, so people are more aware that IPv6 is not some future, but it's, it should be it should be going now. And to be more 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 concrete, uh, uh, we we get some uh, we enabled a, a few customers uh, last years, uh, Poznan University of Technology and and different ones. So I can see a little bit a little progress, but it is not so big. Uh, on the other uh, hand. I am still surprised how how many obstacles and details we can uh, we can overcome. I mean, in uh, implementation, in the, in the servers, in the firewalls, there are still some problems we we, we, we have to, to to fight to overcome, and it, it's it's not, it's not good from 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 this perspective. Okay, so, Christoph, what what are the telecoms doing here in Poland? Well. Uh, <laughs> 
as we, as we have seen from the Sandra statistics, there's close to zero. <laughs> much work to, to be done. And uh, well, it's, it's a good question. Uh, from time to time, uh, the Polish NRA, National Regulatory Authority, uh, had the seminars about the IPv6 development and so on. So during, during those, those seminars, you, you can learn that uh, operators who are probably uh, the most advanced in, in deploying the IPv6 are mobile operators, big names, mobile operators. Of course, on the, on the, other, on the other hand, uh, you have the academic networks uh, that, that are traditionally uh, some step uh, ahead. Uh, but it, but it's the, the, the question of, of awareness of, of, of the users. So, uh, but it's, it's like this, that, that everybody is, is, is waiting to the, to the last possible point to deploy. <laughs> and, and this is because, uh, as Barso said, there are some uh, technical problems, maybe there, there's no business cases, but what is important for uh, smaller ISPs, it's... Uh, it's, this is the problem because they have uh, no business cases, they have no no uh, money, they have no budget to, to implement this. On, but on the other hand, those who are just uh, starting the business, they have no choice because the the, the address IPv4 address address space disappeared. So probably they uh, are forced to to implement IPv6 and then ask uh, AppSync providers to have a service. So what's the name of that bird that sticks the head in the sand? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, um, let's move on to the next question. Actually, I, I picked two of uh, Christoph's questions because I thought they were, they were really, really good. So is there any expectation from operators or providers' view from implementing IPv6 in terms of network resilience and security? Yeah. So. This, this, is, this is a good question. And uh, there is a, uh, Anissa have, have done the sur survey a couple of years ago, it's 2009, uh, among the operators and ISPs in, in Europe about what are their expectations from IPv6 development in terms of resilience and security. And uh, the, the, the answer is, well, they are not expecting. They are not expecting the, that uh, IPv6 develop, development is a uh, factor that can uh, you know, help them to have their networks uh, more resilient, more secure, and, and so on. So IPv6 is not more secure and not more resilient no, than we, IPv4. No, we, we, we can't do. We can't say that, and because the the, the second uh, observation, uh, just reading this this report, was that they, uh, I mean, those operators are not aware of what can they have from 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 uh, what what kind of of uh, new features or, or new. Uh, possibilities they can have if they uh, implement IPv6. So it's rather the, the gap between uh, opportunities versus awareness. Yes, and now IPv, uh, IPsec is moved to shoot, so. <laughs> Bartek, what do you think? Uh, I think that uh, there will be always a challenge 
and, uh, if we are talking about security and there is a long way um, ahead uh, we have to cross uh, to to meet the, 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 the challenge. I mean that uh, everybody can find many reports saying that IPv6 is, has many cases which are not fully covered yet. But uh, it shouldn't stop us uh, with implementation. So what we can do, I think its best approach is to do step by step and uh, be prepared what, uh, what can happen. Okay. Chris? Um, so, uh, with regards to expectations of resiliency, I mean, I think that there's absolutely an expectation that, you know, rolling out this new protocol, or if we're going to replace or even just stand beside IPv4, that it has to be at least comparable. And, and in a lot of cases, that hasn't been the case, which is probably another reason why we haven't seen, you know, uptake in, in some areas, right? Where there's, there's definitely folks who have gone to look at this. Um, and, and mostly this was several years ago. Now I think, the la you know, again, we've seen a lot of change. I would say the last couple of years even have made things a lot better as far as product availability and having feature sets that are actually compatible between v4 and v6. And, and just, you know, the, the routers and switches and firewalls you're putting on your network um, just couldn't secure v6 the way that they could with v4. Um, so, so I think there's definitely an expectation that it needs to be there. And I think there may be a view that it's not there, which may be causing some of the friction, absolutely. Um, it, one of the other things, though, that, that kind of flips that on its head that a lot of people miss in, in a lot of cases, especially at the enterprise level, is that not rolling out IPv6 doesn't protect you from IPv6 security flaws, right? Because you've, you've got Teredo and, 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 and um, uh, now I can't say the other protocol, but you've got auto-configuring protocols that are actually running IPv6 over your v4 network. And so if you're doing even DPI, right, on a v4 packet, you don't see this v6 packet that's stuck inside of there. Um, and so I think security and resiliency are, are big pieces of, of the puzzle. I don't think that there's a clear-cut, um, you know, one-size-fits-all mold that everyone falls into. But it's definitely something that needs to be thought about. And I think more and more people are thinking about it. Um, unfortunately, in a lot of things with networking, uh, security is an afterthought anyway. Young. Um, the way I, I think to roll those two together, one of the things that you know, our experience has been um, is that clearly there is not the diligence in testing going into the V6 stacks and, uh, and implementations in, uh, even in very mainstream, you know, um, well-known vendors' products. And, and I think there's a real concern there. Um, there's not the installed base necessarily of the V6 functionality that's finding the bugs out in the wild. You know, so. There's, there's clearly going to be implementation problems that are just waiting for people to find an exploit. Um, it's going to, you know, it, it's not as mature a, pro, a protocol. The, the implementations are not as mature. It's going to take some years to get there. So you are using IPv6 only in your transport part of a network, right? So you you ever requested the security feature parity from the vendor? Security feature parity of. V4 or with 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 V4 to have same level of security in V6. So I mean, my, my point there is about the the implementations of the stacks, you know, of, the, of uh, okay. the BGP transport over V6 or whatever it happens to be. That you know, these things um, we're seeing just in in very very basic functionality. You know, some some fairly glaring bugs, which you know I would take as a sign of this is not really being tested or this has not been deployed that widely. Um, so these bugs are not being found. You know, I, I think it's a fairly easy extrapolation of that to say that 
um, the security elements of these things and, you know, are, are not going to be tested either. Okay. And this brings us to the next question. I would like to start with you, Ian. So what is the impact of IPv6 implementation on security and resilience on providers' network in terms of security advantages of this technology, of potential issues concerning security, on what problems remain similar to v4 or different issues? Uh, I don't know if you had any, any issues do, do, during your proof of concept uh, uh, with migration phase or something like this. I mean, we don't, well, with the way we're building, we don't really have a migration phase at, the, at this stage because it's, it's very much tied into our fiber rollout. But um, ooh, V6 specific security problems or. I, I, in all honesty, no, I, I can't think of anything that we've we've really hit. But you know, I mean, if you, if you look at the way we're evolving this, and um, you know, a lot of the things um, that we want to do, that we need to do um, around the data center, around the virtualization of the data center, and things, um, OpenStack particularly, it's just not there yet. You know, it, it, you know, if you wanted to run a pure um, v6 native implementation of OpenStack. You know, there's a lot of interfaces there. There's a lot of parts of it that are missing. And, you know, I mean, this one, um, as and when that does get ready, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't be too far away, um, we're going to have to really, really look at these data center architectures and see, you know, how is this all going to fit together because there's so many new things in there, and V6 is only, only one of the parts of it. But, you know, that's going to really have to... Uh, uh, going to need some serious auditing. How did you tackle with Fresnel, for example, legal interception interface? So how, do, what, how will we tackle that? Um, so the simple point is that for, um, you know, I, I mean, I've had this discussion a couple of times today, actually, as it turns out. Um, a lot of architectures at the moment, um, people are saying, okay, well, you, you require choke points. You require, you know, um, points that the traffic is passing through, and you can say, okay, that's when I, where I'm going to do my LI, which is fine. Um, but it means that that is a choke point in the network, and it's something that you've got to scale. Now, at any one time, you know, there will be a very, very small number of people that actually have any kind of uh, you know, legal intercept uh, request against them. So what we've said is, if you're going to do this, if, someone, you know, if there is, uh, the court order comes in to do this, well, what you do is you take that traffic and you place it in a tunnel to your legal interception architecture. You know, the rest of the people's traffic, if they're peer-to-peer -peer or whatever it is, you, you don't want to have to send it through that choke point because you've got to scale the choke point in order to, uh, to uh, fulfill that. So as and when the, uh, the court order comes in, you know, you say, okay, we'll take this port, we'll pipe it to the legal intercept uh, infrastructure, and, you know, you can deal with it that way. And then the people on the other end of the tunnel need to understand that traffic, otherwise tough luck. The people in the... In the police and on, on the other yeah, end. Yeah, okay. The, but, I mean, but what you, you know, that, that request is going to say, okay, we want, you know, maybe a complete copy of that user's data or, you know, everything that's so fine. That, that gives you an architecture where you can do that, but only, you know, when, when the court order arrives to tell you to do it. So, yeah, there's lots of work needs to be done in, in this area. So, Chris, back to the original question impacts IP6 implementation. Sure. So, I, I think that uh, a lot of the things as far as impact are. are at least for some of them, we can kind of wrap up everything we talked about for expectation and, and push that into the real world. And we're actually starting to see that happen, right? So to, to the points earlier, um, one of the biggest things, right, as far as threats to security and resiliency with IPv6 is the fact that the IPv6 stacks are ridiculously immature. Um, and that, you know, we've had 
how many, you know, 20, 30 years of, of really banging on, on V4 software where it's, it works pretty well now. And, and V6 is just getting put in front of, you know, large amounts of users and, and just starting to see high levels of traffic and, and, and these kind of things where, you know, this equipment and this code is, is brand new. And, and so there's a very good chance that you're going to run into some kind of bug in some kind of equipment that you roll out uh, if you have to change it for a V6, right? If it, whether it's a new software load or a new piece of equipment, there's probably going to be something wrong just because it's new, right? It's not necessarily related to V6 at all. Um, there's been problems with with a number of routers and switches and, and CMTSs and, and VRASs and all kinds of things that, that weren't necessarily had anything to do with V6. But the fact that changing the IP stack, you know, in a router in a router in particular, right, in an IP-based device, it's, it, you know, that's its whole function. That's you basically touch every piece of code in that box, uh, and that's that's a big job, and that's something that apparently is not being QA'd as well as we would have hoped, right? So, in a lot of major vendors. So the only way is learning as we go. Yeah, learning, learning and fixing as we go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a, n a natural process, right? I mean, so that's just a natural if process. if we don't go, we, we can't learn and fix mm -hmm. things. Absolutely. And definitely, I mean, if, if you're rolling something out, whether it's V6 or, or any other new technology, new protocol, hopefully you can set up a lab and do a little bit of testing, run a pilot program in your network before you roll it out, you know, to 10,000, 100,000, a million customers. Uh, you know, try it out, you know, paint a spot that can't be seen, and then, and then move forward. But I think that, you know, it's just another piece of common sense, it just so happens that IPv6 is the waste of the hourglass, and so changing it changes everything. So don't, be, af don't be afraid to break some glass. Right, don't be afraid to break some glass, yeah, have, have some test glass. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So, Bartek. Uh, from one hand, I can agree with Chris, but there are lots, lots, of, lots, of, lots of issues. For example, I'm working in a, uh, also part-time in a NOC, and I am still very surprised how many pieces of software, even the last, the latest version, are not IPv6 enabled, which we are using in our NOC. So we have to figure out what else we can use, how we can deal with this. Hopefully, we don't ho don't have very many so far customers, so we can we have time for playing, for for testing uh, different solutions, different cases, and things like that. But on the other hand, from the backbone side of the network, I don't see much issues. It's, 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 it's just running. So uh, from this point of view, we can be, uh, conc uh, we, can be uh, we can feel good, yeah. I fully agree that, that uh, we should start now testing and trying some uh, solutions to, to, to learn uh, how to um, get the, the implementations uh, which are more, more secure and resilient. I was, I was interested, do we have now any evidence of, of incidents, let's say security incidents uh, from IPv6 world? And uh, as a matter of fact, that there's uh, a little of, of, of this information available. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, there's no problem at all. But uh, the, some um, data you, you can obtain uh, are very interesting because I, I was asking if the, probably those known uh, threats or, or, or types of attacks from, known from IPv4 attacks are still valid in IPv6 environment, probably uh, DDoS. And so I went to, to 
um, Arbor Network's uh, reports and learn that uh, they report that uh, only 4% of, of uh, customers, they cast their customers or, or respondents, uh, encountered the DDoS attacks. Is it uh, much or not? Rather not, but compare the, the traffic, um, IPv4 traffic compared to IPv6. So maybe now there's a point when we can learn, because there are attacks, maybe they are not very serious, maybe they are not a uh, big amount of this, but they, they, they exist. Another, another example is from one of the American companies that uh, published the report. They have uh, many customers they are using IPv6. And the, the, the most uh, popular, let's say, attack or, or security incident is uh, coming from the uh, coexistence uh, between uh, IPv4 and IPv6. Because the, there will be the transition phase from one technology to another, and uh, during this phase, probably, uh, there are so uh, many important threats we, we have to address, like, for instance, all those uh, tunneling technologies uh, that, that can pose the security uh, flows of uh, holes uh, across the firewalls, uh, they are not aware of this, and so on, so on. So the tunneling uh, technologies or, or translating technologies, all those are, uh, everybody knows from, from years that there's a possible uh, security flow. But, yeah, the attacks uh, exist now. So the, the, those uh, threats or vulnerabilities are used by underground now to, to uh, maybe they are, uh, also testing the possibilities. So, yep. from from our perspective, is uh, just also learn learn uh, how to combat with this. Anyone has any data on this you know, on security incidents on V6? No. Okay. Uh, a question: on, um, you, You're talking about Doxis 3.0, and uh, is there any kind of um, V6 firewalling or anything that's, that's on by default as part of that spec? Uh, so uh, there's no nothing v6 specific for sure um, it, it's you know it's all kind of treated the same um, as to, to harken back to the last panel uh, there's basically a bcp38 function built in to Docs Thirdo, which is they call it source address verification which is to David's point just a simple filter right if, if I didn't give you this address you can't send yeah. traffic from it yeah. um, and, and then but as far as firewalling there's not much so that's usually that's left up to you know the customer device again um, what we're seeing, though, it, it is interesting, is a lot of cable companies now are rolling out actual CPE more and more so, which I think is more closer to the European model and, and work towards the DSL model, um, in, order, in, in large part to upgrade to Docs 3.0 for one reason, uh, and another part is to get IPv6 in, involved. And then the other thing is then they actually have a firewall in the home that they can control to some extent, or at least know that it's there, right, so that their customers don't get infected. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's um, some, some work going on in the ITF to, to discuss, you know, default policies and those kind of things. Because, I mean, there is, there is a potential hole here, you know, of, uh, of uh, V4 firewalling and things. This is all well established. You know, you could have all of that, you know, and your, your V4 front door is triple bolted, but your V6 windows are wide open. You know, it's, it's quite possible that can happen. Okay, and, and actually this brings us to our two questions. 
That's, so <clears throat> we've been discussing this BCP38 anti-spoofing and all that stuff. It seems that it's not getting much ground, but if we're building the IPv6 networks, these are new networks, we probably should think of implementing BCP38 and anti-spoofing mechanisms while we are building the new networks, right? Do you guys see any actual usage of BCP38 in IPv6 builds? Yeah. Go first on that. I, I mean, you know, from, from the way we've designed TerraStream, it, it's not just an afterthought. It's, it's kind of fundamental to how the whole thing works. Um, customers are identified by, by their V6 address or, you know, one, one particular prefix that's allocated for them. That's going to be there throughout the life of their contract. So you know that that customer belongs to that. And so, you know, this is uh, the basis of, a, uh, of an ACL for there. Again, for different traffic types that we're identifying, you know, those are going to be based on, um, on the prefixes, the source and the destination prefixes. ACLs will enforce that. So it's, you know, it's, it's not just a kind of, you know, well, we might put that on if we think about it. It's fundamental to how we're going to architect our services. So you actually pre-built this in the architecture of well, the network? Well, the thing is, I mean, if, you, if you've got your addressing architecture planned out from day one, this is how you're going to build your network, you can turn that into exceedingly simple, replicable ACLs that exist on every port of every device. You know, and you don't end up in this situation where you've got 15,000 ACL entries on there and things, you know, you've got no idea what's going on. It becomes, you know, very, very small, very, very easy to, uh, to monitor and, you know, through configuration checking, you know, you can, you can ensure that those things are in place. You know, and as, as long as you've taken this into account from day one rather than, you know, in three years' time thinking, oh, maybe we should have done that. This is actually a great message, so guys... You heard, if, if, if you're building a new IPv6 network, think about this from, from the day one. Anyone else want to, to take on this? I don't have anything specific to BCP38 and IPv6. I think that I'd just like to echo, though, that, that statement that you are building a completely new logical network when you roll out IPv6, right? I mean, and there's a lot of synergies. There's a lot of things you can reuse, and there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's not all the work, but you really are building a new logical network. And so... Whatever security flaws or resiliency problems or scaling issues you have in your current v4 network, you don't have to propagate those over, right? You you can build a better network uh, on the same physical infrastructure, and you know with the mind that eventually v4 will become less important, and 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 you know in 15, 20 years you may be able to turn it off depending on who you are, um, but you get this chance now to build v6 right from day one. So you know really put your engineering hat on tight and go to work and and, and make this happen and make it look right, right? I mean why not? So you don't have to propagate them over, or you should not propagate them over, or must not? You don't have to. <laughs> the rest of it is up to you. Okay, any more comments? No, it's, it's, a, it's a good good idea, because, you know, all the time when when, when you have the network, which is, which is uh, built 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you... you you have only the excuse. I, I cannot implement some mechanism because it's too complex. But you are right, and, and this is this point should be, you know, uh, more, you know, advertised. Let's say to the to the community, because it is is an opportunity. Yeah, you, you're building something new. Yeah. yeah. So okay, um, let's touch briefly about the routing table. So V4 routing table is exploding because of various different reasons. Um, but on IPv6 BGP routing table, 
is not exploding yet. So I, I did a little bit of calculations. I'm, I'm, I'm running a lab with three upstreams, with three different providers, with BGP, AS number, and all that. And I did some simple math. Actually, that was a, a shell script that went through the whole table. And I found that 218 ASNs are already announcing more specifics. So should or can we prevent this? Those are different questions. <laughs> And, and I think just at, at kind of a high level, right, I mean, a, a significant portion of the V4D aggregation is misconfigurations and stuff people don't know what they're doing, right? I mean, probably, I don't know if I can say most of it, but a very large chunk of the BGP routing table is cruft, right? It's stuff that, that doesn't have to be in there. But there's also a very significant amount of stuff that really is useful for some major useful for some network operator in some area, right? So a lot of it's traffic engineering. For whatever reason, you know, it comes down to that's, that's just the way they're going to do it. And so I think we're going to see that, at least, carry over to v6. What we can hopefully do, and what we should absolutely do, is not carry over all of the extra stuff, right? Not, not have people's routing policies that are just broken carried over to v6 that propagate routes all over the place just because they can um, or because they don't know any better, right? So there's, there's, I think we'll still see some, some you're not going to see just perfect aggregates all the way down, right? You're going to see some, some, some breakups for all kinds of reasons. Uh, but hopefully it won't be as bad as V4, and it's, it's another thing where we just have to talk to each other. And, and, and the same thing we, you know, we do with V4. Again, we kind of have that reset button where we can start and, and you know, if you slap people early, maybe they won't do it again. So actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit observing the, the routing table through time, and I saw these weird jumps. Right? Uh, I had a look, and there was continuously coming new prefixes in the routing slots. They announced, for example, slash 32, and then all the slash 48s under slash 32. And then in, in like an hour or two or a day, the whole thing disappears, and just slash 32 is there. But then two or three days later, somebody, somebody totally else, just totally different guy, does the same thing. So is there, um, 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 I don't know, um, a fairy going around telling these, these people, don't do that? Or, or how, how do we tackle this? Should we call these people that do these things and, and do the mistakes? What? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there already is the, the CIDR report, right, that goes out onto the NANOG mailing list, at least. I don't know if you have a similar thing. If, if it, I assume it goes out to other do, mailing lists do they do the six? Um, right, I mean, it was called CIDR because it started a long time ago. Yeah, okay. um, and, and I actually don't know if it's even, I, I haven't watched it for a while, so I haven't been operating a network in a few years, so I haven't actually watched that list. So I don't even know if it's added V6. It doesn't, hasn't yet? Okay. Um, but we, I mean, something like that for V6 absolutely, I think, would make, make a lot of sense. And that's the way you, you do that, right? You call it out where it's, you know, this weekly email that comes out and says, hey, why, you know, why is your company doing this? They do it. It is in V6 now? Okay. Anyone has any? I was just wondering, I, I mean, of the, You've probably got more, more knowledge about RIPE than I have, but uh, of the RIPE LARs, is there, are there any figures published about how many of the um, people who have V4 space have actually made V6 applications? And uh, Do we know what kind of percentage that's running at? Uh, okay, Dave. You have been blocked by an ACL. Okay. 
Just, just to respond to that quickly, there's um, IPv6 ripeness, which was um, an initiative to give LIRs uh, a series of stars. Uh, and you'd achieve those stars by doing all sorts of things like applying for an allocation, making assignments out of it. Um, so, yes, there's a, if you have a look, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, go and have a look at who have the most stars in IPv6 ripeness, and that gives you some kind of indication of deployment based on allocations requested, space requested. Yeah, and my, when they were collecting the ideas, because they had four stars, and they were collecting the ideas who to give the fifth star, my suggestion was call that LAR or ISP to their help desk and say, I have an IPv6 problem. <laughs> and depending on, 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 on if, if, if the response is, yeah, sure, how can I help you, then there we go, fifth star. Otherwise, nope. So, okay, um, I hope that there are some questions from the audience. Are there any questions? Some further discussion? Sander is reading his email. <laughs> General. Well, in general, uh, from our perspective, as we are from Orange, or actually, I'm just listening to this discussion from different perspectives, right? Because we finished a uh, job in mobile part. Every SIM card is uh, IPv6 enabled. You can just uh, buy a prepaid one, and if you have uh, CPE, I don't know, Android, you can try IPv6 uh, now. Moreover, I bring some devices like router. It's uh, already running, so anyone can connect and check how how CLAT and IPv6 is working in uh, live network. So, uh, well, of course, threads uh, are not only related to tech guys, what will happen with BGP, whatever. But we notice that people, ordinary customers, subscribers, afraid of IPv6. I mean, human being uh, afraid of changing something in his life. So we have to remember that IP is not uh, the main interest for the subscriber. Subscriber only needs access to content, right? So we just follow with this uh, strategy. We notice that when we just uh, put some information before the commercial start to the some groups uh, of uh, internet uh, users, we notice that they are afraid of changing. Even the guys who are supposed to be uh, tech guys that they like new things, they were afraid of using IPv6 for some unknown reason. So we have to remember that uh, we have to split those two things. We can, of course, uh, talk about IPv6 on a technical level, but the customer shouldn't actually uh, be informed because there might, that it could be effect of some kind of uh, problems for him, right? He's afraid of IPv6. What is IPv6? It can generate many, many problems to operators because uh, some of them could 
call to the customer care and ask, what is the IPv6? What can I, what I can do with IPv6? So, from operator point of view, we were working on content access. So all services uh, nowadays, uh, which are popular, like Skype, Hangouts, uh, Facebook, Messengers, all variants of those applications. Uh, there are applications for PC, for mobile phones, right? So then we find the target, which was Android. We focus on that. Thankfully, Lorenzo was actively working as well, so you two as well. So together, uh, we'll bring something which is working on native IPv6 uh, correctly, and uh, typical user subscriber don't even uh, have to bother what his IP. No matter, right? If this is IPv4 or IPv6, if he is on, on, uh, on NAT64 or I don't know, carry great NAT, doesn't make any sense to him, right? He needs the same level of access to the internet and that's all. So, thank you. Okay, anyone want to comment? Not, not specifically to that, but just kind of in that same line, right? I think one of the, one of the things we can prevent or we can, we can keep ourselves from doing that they can definitely put a huge damper in IPv6 adoption is um, the disable IPv6 as a troubleshooting tip. Um, just, you know, I was talking about call centers and customer interactions and things. Uh, there was definitely some of that that went on, right, at, at um, World IPv6 Day and, and launch even, where there was some folks who were saying, okay, well, the easiest thing to do if a customer has a problem is just to tell them, you know, give, you know, give them the step-by-step -step instructions on how to go into whatever machine they're using and turn v6 off. Um, the problem there is that then that person has no idea how to turn it back on, because to your point, right, they can follow instructions on the phone with a, with, with a help desk, but they're not going to go back in and reverse those steps on their own at some point for any reason, right? And so, you know, just little things like that are, are things that I think, you know, the details that need to be paid attention to, to really make sure that you're not getting in your own way. That PCOP help desk document should probably help yep. with that quite a bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see this, this document as it, uh, as it evolves. I mean, I've, I've not... <laughs> Never had any any personal experience of being on the end of a, a support call, you know, or, you know, trying to trying to make those kind of support calls. But I, I think it would be a pretty dire experience at the moment for uh, uh, for most users if they ever have to do that. So. so how how is DT approaching this help desk issue? So I mean, essentially, we've trained the guys, you know, the the guys who are supporting the things. Um, we're in a, a lucky position, actually, because it, it it is a single protocol network that we're running. It's just not, you know, it's an IP version six network. So. Um, you know, complexity and costs are always going to be greatest whilst you're running two protocols, and you've got to go through that thing of saying, well, let's eliminate one so that we can fix the other. You know, mm -hmm. this is, it, there's always going to be, you know, that, that uncertainty about, well, what, you know, what are you actually using as your transport protocol? If we've just got V6 here, then that's what we're training people to support. Um, the V4 overlay service is a very, very specific and very, very bounded uh, way of doing this kind of thing. So you can say, well, you know, have you got an address here? You know, have you got something at the concentrator? If that stuff works, you know, we know you've got a service. We know where we can, you know, take traces, whatever it happens to be, to see what's going wrong. So, um, yeah, I mean, people are new to this. You know, they haven't got 10, 15 years of experience with it, but they are at least, you know, doing that solely now and get, they're, they're, they're moving in that direction. So being an experienced operator yourself, would you like to contribute? 
I'll certainly have a look at the document if you'd like to send it to me. <laughs> okay, well, I have a question. You're a mobile operator and you're turning on IPv6. How did you approach this help desk, um, uh, telling people at the help desk how to react um, uh, if there is, if people is using PDPv6 and have problems probably with Skype and everything else? So, so how did you prepare this stuff? Uh, well, like I said, uh, before mm, we starting with smartphones mainly. Uh, this is based on Android. This is Xperia family, Xperia Z, Z1, and Z Ultra. They look all of them almost the same. Typical user doesn't even know he is using IPv6. This information okay. is hidden in the menu among APN settings. So if there is some geek who would like to check his APN, of course you can just click and check that, oh my goodness, this is not internet as usual from 10 years. I have internet IPv6. This, that's the APN name we are using. So you, you are now shipping the devices out with IPv6 preset? Uh, yes, some of them are already uh, produced with CLAT and IPv6. Uh, for some of them, there will be a released uh, photo update over the years. So the user will see that uh, new software is ready for him. He is downloading the software and becoming IPv6 subscriber as some kind of a transition method. And I saw in, in, in some beta builds that you can also select the protocol version for roaming and for... for, for yes, uh, that was a very hot discussion with Lorenzo. I was uh, trying to push him to extend this uh, APN settings by giving the option to skip to different APN. This is uh, how it works uh, for Google products like Nexus. Nexus, when the APN is not available in particular network, is skipping to uh, another APN on the list. But Android implementation among the uh, vendors are not the same. So for Sony, it doesn't work. You get stuck in the roaming. So we have to quickly um, find a workaround to, to get the customer uh, happy in the roaming. Unfortunately, uh, our survey um, via InfoCentra was a disaster. Uh, I mean, maybe 30% of uh, all the respondents from the 400 roaming partners uh, says, okay, we have IPv6. 70% mm -hmm. says we are not ready either with the network part like SGSN or we are not ready with the billing part. Mm -hmm. uh, so we simply disabled IPv6 in roaming, waiting for better times. Nowadays, we left IPv4 uh, roaming field uh, so the user is using IPv6 at home PLMN. Whenever he use, uh, he goes to VPLMN, um, he is using IPv4. This is a little trick we did in our IP core. Uh, so you, you disabled v6 roaming. So you, you are actually actively preventing me now to use my IPv6 to no. roam back to Slovenia. You are welcome in Orange if you have IPv6. APN, you can use it in orange. Uh, we okay. are not. This is only for our customers. Oh, okay. 
that's of course uh, not a very good uh, solution because we have to um, deploy two same APNs with the same name but with the different PDP types. This could be done in our core, it works fine. But I was expecting uh, Lorenzo actually to extend this menu by adding not only PDP type for roaming. Let's add one field, extensional APN for roaming, right? Then you can switch, you can play, you have full options to configure in one place, uh, which is of course for the customers the best thing not to play uh, with the settings in the, in the menu. But nowadays, uh, IPv6 is not available uh, for the basic APN in roaming for, for Orange customers, Orange Poland customers, because there is no sufficient uh, way of logic how to fall back to different APN. Yeah. So it's interesting times working for the mobile operator deploying IPv6. Yes, it's uh, very interesting. Of course, our company is preparing uh, themselves to, to be ready for the first IPv6 customers. So the customer care exactly knows what to do, what to check, how to check the subscriber. Our billing also is prepared for that, so you can see that the user is uh, using uh, internet IPv6. And uh, let's say the consultants are not, they shouldn't uh, tell the customer Oh my goodness, you are using IPv6. Mm -hmm. You are lost, right? But of course, uh, like I said, uh, we are ready. We will see in the future. Those terminals are not cheap, so not many customers uh, buying them. So we have to wait a little bit, maybe two months or three. Mm -hmm. We will see. Thank you. It's all, it's all good stuff. People are working on it. Could, could, I, could I just ask a question there about, so once you've got uh, V6 connectivity out to your customers, do you then plan to enable customer-facing services to, to dual-stack those internally as well? Or do, or do you just see it as being a, you know, providing V6 transport connectivity to, to customers? Together with Michael, uh, our IP core specialist, we decided that we are not doing uh, any dual stack in, in mobile. We, we decided two years ago, which was a little bit maybe crazy, that we are going uh, to native IPv6. Two years ago, even the CLAT does not exist or we don't know uh, about this feature. So actually, we were thinking how to override this IPv4 littlers, right? Our NAT was not able to do it. But nowadays, uh, it was a good decision because we didn't spend uh, money for licenses for dual stack. Moreover, our uh, IP core is changing. We're changing the vendor for IP core. So we want to spend sufficient amount of money and to have native IPv6. So we just do it uh, with no enormous uh, amount of money. But hopefully, we, are, we were not only the ones, so the CLAT was, I don't know, invented. And uh, it works almost like a native IPv4. Of course, you can find some services. I don't know, SIP is not working, right? 
Skype. Skype is working. There is six? A, yes, there is a patch for Skype, and uh, oh, cool. we had a couple of discussion with Windows, very hot discussion, but uh, they finally did it. Okay. But Hangout is... Uh, was disaster because they replaced GTalk, which was fantastic. Uh, it has support. Uh, it was very good support, uh, including the mixed clients when one party is IPv4, the second party is IPv6, or whatever. What you even imagine, everything was working fine. But suddenly, I noticed Hangout on new Google devices, and it was total disaster. But together with Lorenzo, we, we, we did it. So okay. it's, it's working now. What will be tomorrow? Hard to say because they are updating it very, very often. So, well, okay. Thank you for this update. So, well, what I heard from Lee, if I come back to this help desk doc, that um, when when Time Warner Cable um, was looking into the help desk calls on the World V6 day, there were more wrong number calls than IPv6 calls. So that's, this terms the, that this is a, a mental state of people don't, don't want to go there. So, But I think, how are we time? We done? We okay. are run, run so, over time. Yeah. Any closing remarks? Anything you want to tell people on the stream, in, in the room? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, across the course of the day, I, I think I've said pretty much everything that, uh, you know, um, that I've got to say about this. Yeah, I, I think it's fairly self-evident that the protocol's time has come. Um, okay, it's maybe not as mature as, uh, as what's gone before, but the critical mass is now here, um, you know, and that maturity, in, you know, through deployment, through usage, it's going to come quickly. So, you know... Um, we've heard a lot of excuses. I've heard these things inside our business, and I've heard them from you know from all over the place. But I think those the excuses are becoming thinner and thinner. You know, they, you know, there's really you know answers, and there's proof that the, that those excuses are you know are not barriers for deployment. So you know, get on and do it. Okay. I think today we definitely talked about a little bit of the warts and some of the some of the things behind the curtain for IPv6, but I did. Just want to make sure that doesn't discourage anyone, right? I think that the only thing that we can do to fix all of these things is to continue to deploy and to continue to move forward. Um, so I guess, you know, the closing remark would be go forth and, and deploy IPv6. I think that IPv6 uh, is a time that uh, everybody can say that IPv6 is not nothing new, and it's time that being uh, everybody can be ashamed not thinking about IPv6. Okay, I think we should think about more and more initiatives to, to help uh, people deploy the IPv6. Uh, I, I, I think that this, this idea to uh, produce the RIPE 554 document uh, and, and to, to help people just uh, have an idea if I'm compliant with IPv6 or not. You probably know that there are some people who are building the uh, tools, testing tools, uh, as a basis, it's a RIPE 554 document, and I'm building uh, testing tools when everybody can, can uh, run the test how my equipment or the vendor equipment is compliant with IPv6, because people so sometimes are not aware to, to, to which level they are, they are compliant or not. So any, any initiative that can help 
people to, to um, be uh, involved and, and, and check something, test something, we should think. So, Sander, did you hear this? There is, a, there is a request to build a testing tool to test the RIPE 554 compliance. How do we... Mm, yeah, let's see. Let's see how we, 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 we can work on it. It would be actually cool to, to, to have a test suit that tests all the stuff that we did. Okay. Thank you very much. I would really like to thank you for, to, to all four of the panelists. And I'm taking it over to Dan that, was, that will close yes. down the day. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you all. I'm just going to close because we're, on, we're at the time to get ready for the social and for events that are here to just say thank you all for coming here. Thank you to those who have been watching us live. We've seen people throughout the day watching. And uh, we uh, thank you all for being here at this ION Krakow event. And please do check out our website. It's www.internetsocietyorg slash deploy360. Um, we're here to help you. Jan, you've seen, myself, Megan Cruz, who's been off uh, over there, and Chris now joining our team as well. We're here to help you get IPv6, DNSSEC, and routing technologies deployed. So please, we're here. Let us know how we can help you. And let's just get out there and get this stuff deployed. You have been listening to a recording from our Ion Krakow event that occurred on September 30th, 2013 in Krakow, Poland. For more information about this event, to listen to other sessions, look at slides, or view video recordings, you can go to www.internetsociety.org slash deploy360 slash ion slash Krakow 2013. Or you can simply go to www.internetsociety.org slash deploy360 to learn about our overall program to accelerate the deployment of key internet technologies such as IPv6, DNSSEC, and routing resiliency slash security technologies. Our ION events are held several times a year around the world and provide a great way to meet in person and learn from experts in the field and to learn about how you can get involved with doing further deployment of these technologies. You can go to www.internetsocietyorg slash deploy360 slash ION to learn about the next event that we have planned. We welcome your feedback about this or any of our other programs. You can leave it for us at our website, or by email at the contact address listed there. You may also leave it for us on any of the social networks to which this recording is posted. Thank you for listening, and again, please do let us know how we can help you get these technologies deployed. Thank you.